Underdog Podcast from SB Nation and Underdog Dynasty. Welcome to another edition of the Conference USA Underdog Podcast on UnderdogDynasty.com, SB Nation's home for G5 football. Uh, welcome back after an interesting week, to say the least, since USA had some close games, had some blowouts. Going to talk about it all in detail and get you set for week 12. Joe Lonergan and Eric Henry with you once again. Uh, Eric, how you doing, man? It was an interesting week of USA football. Absolutely, man. You know, we are gearing up for our cold front here in Florida. Uh, it is turning the, <laughs> the weather. I'm just, I, the thing is, I'm laughing because I can see your eyes rolling right now, and I apologize. To those of you who are in different climates of the country, that's not in the sunshine state. But we're gearing up for temperatures in the 50s. So just kind of break out the old cardigan. <laughs> my eyes rolled so hard, I hurt my neck, dude. Come on now. <laughs> cold front in Florida. <laughs> what does that even mean? It, it is what it is, man. It's tough sledding down here. Yeah. Speaking of uh, tough sledding, that's basically what uh, Chad Morris is dealing with in his uh, career hunt right now. The uh, Arkansas coach getting fired after the Western Kentucky Hilltoppers beat his Arkansas Razorbacks. Uh, 45-19 to 19 was the final there, and what a moment for Ty Story getting a win against his former team. Uh, he ran for two scores, one through the air. Uh, just controlled the game in every aspect is uh, what you saw out of Tyson Helton's team. And um, meanwhile, the tops get to bowl eligibility for the first time since 2017. And, and as I mentioned, um, have an SEC team looking for a, a new leader. So uh, that was definitely a crazy way to start the COSA slate on Saturday. Yeah. I mean, you know, it's a, we talked about it last week. It's just a great job by, Western Kentucky and what a homecoming, you know, the young man from Charleston, Arkansas to come back to his home state and play against his former team, arguably his best game of the year. You look at his, his QBR, 93.2. I mean, that really may have been his best game of the year, 22 or 32, 213, one touchdown, uh, also added 77 on the ground and two scores. And like you mentioned it, you know, he, uh, I don't think he takes any, any joy in this, but he puts his old coach out of a job. Uh, you know, Arkansas certainly has, an, has another set of issues in terms of being a, mid-tier to lower-tier SEC team perennially. So, you know, we'll let them deal with that. We'll take the CUSA end of things. Great win for the Tops. They move to 6-4. and four. They qualify for bowl eligibility, and what a way to do it. I think the thing that, you know, kind of been a little bit surprising to me, um, we talked about the defense, but this offense has really come around in the past couple of weeks. You know, Lucky Jackson, I didn't realize, he's almost a 1,000-yard receiver. I think he's got something like 65 grabs for 850 yards. He's quietly having a really nice year. We've talked about Gage Walker and his emergence a lot, but Lucky Jackson's having a great year, you know, uh, as a receiver. And just, once again, great job by the tops. Yeah, it seems like Lucky has had that kind of quiet year because it hasn't necessarily translated into touchdowns, but he's definitely racking up the yards, whereas the the scores are either going to uh, – the people doing the uh, doing the rushing, like I mentioned with Story and Gage Walker, of course, or they're going to Jacquard Pearson. But either way, senior really playing his role with uh, uh, some just fantastic grabs along the way. Uh, so good to see for them. And uh, meanwhile, down in Texas over the weekend, we had uh, UTSA beating Old Dominion in a nail biter, twenty four to twenty three. As much as I want to brag about this because I did pick UTSA to win, uh, such a gut punch for ODU, really. Um, but if you're the Roadrunners, I think one thing you have to be really enthused with 
especially from the offensive side of things. Sincere McCormick and Lil Narcisse, as many jokes as we've made about UTSA's offense over the last few weeks, they might have something legitimate to build on there with those two guys in the backfield. Yeah, I mean, I listen, you hit the nail on the head. I certainly have not been, you know, I've had no shortage of criticism for the UTSA passing game over the past really two years we've been doing this podcast, but give them credit. This is not, yes, ODU is a one and nine team. They sent them to one and nine, but that is not a one and nine defense. That defense has been put in situations, ODU's defense has put in situations over and over and over this year because of the neptitude of the offense, but yet they put up respectable numbers in CUSA. So the fact that Lowell Narcisse went 18 to 23 for 240 and Sincere McCormick, who I think we're, we're realizing, you know, the hometown kid from Judson High School, uh, buck 37, two touchdowns is the real deal. You know, if you can get a combination with him and even, you know, Brendan Brady pro- providing some backup yards there as well, that might be something. Now, once again, I- I'm sure Frank Harris would be there saying, hey, you know, I looked pretty good earlier on in the year. But then again, there's a difference between looking good against, uh, hopefully my memory serves me correct here, Houston Baptist is who I believe. They picked up the win. Uh, Frank Harris picked up the win earlier this year and looking good against the ODU team that, once again, the defense has played pretty well. Now to flip it to the ODU side, you blow a 13-point fourth-quarter lead, and that just really is, you know, I believe you said a gut punch, and it really was, you know, because you're thinking, okay, it's the first home start for Hayden Wolf. He looked really nice, you know, 17-29 for 247. Like I said, when I saw him at FIU, and I wrote this in my Three Things We Learned About CUSA article, he looks very poised. He looks like he belongs. He, and, and this isn't a slight at the other two JUCO guys they brought in, but he's looked more qualified to be back there as a quarterback, for lack of a better phrase, uh, in you know, two starts than they have the entire year. So give credit to the true freshman. But like I said, you, know, you blow a 13-point fourth-quarter lead at home. You're thinking that's going to be the one where you can get a win. Uh, it's not the best uh, of times for Bobby Wilder. No, definitely not. Before we move on, we need to make a quick correction. I realized at the top of this segment, I said they were in Texas. Clearly, they weren't. It was in, uh, it was in Old, Old Dominion. So, my fault, but uh, doesn't negate the point that uh, Old Dominion still need to uh, get that offense figured out and uh, need to do it quickly if they want to get past that uh, get past that second win. And with that, we'll talk about Charlotte and UTEP, 49ers winning that game 28-21. to 21. Uh, Eric, we bragged a ton on Chris Reynolds on the last episode, um, and he balled out once again, 354 passing yards, two touchdowns, and 91 rushing yards. So clearly getting a lot of deserved praise from our end. I will continue to say it, as I've said all year, he is the guy. You know, if you put his intangibles in the body of uh, a James Morgan or, you know, a bigger quarterback, you're probably looking at a guy who maybe you take a little more seriously. Uh, maybe, you know, the, the lay person will take a little more seriously. But because of the fact that he's 5'10", 185, you look at him as just another guy, right? His numbers, he plays huge. Without Think about this. Without Benny LeMay. You know, I mean, we know that Benny is the best running back in Conference USA, and he's really the best player on that team. But without Benny, you know, Chris Reynolds manages to carry that offense, especially in a game that, you know, they didn't get up to the best start. <laughs> you know, it looked like UTEP was, was well on their way to pick up their second victory of the year, but Reynolds is just a winner. He's a guy who clearly is just not going to let his team lose. Uh, give credit to Cameron Dollar. You know, Cam Dollar is a, uh, I believe a true sophomore, if my memory serves correctly. He might be a redshirt sophomore, but anyhow, my point is that he's really stepping into his role as a starter in his second year 
playing with the 49ers. And once again, you know, Will Healy. Uh, it looked like he started to doubt a little bit, you know, when he had that quote about, I felt like we could just provide energy and things would turn around. But he's realizing that in Conference USA, it's every week is a new week. He's turned the corner. They've won two straight and they're one win away from bowl eligibility. Now, if we flip it to the UTEP side, you really want to talk about a gut punch, right? You know, they, they, they look like they're well on their way to their second win. Kai Loxley has played really well the past two weeks, not just as a rusher, but as a passer. And they managed to, you know, cough up that lead. That's a tough one. But, you know, we, at least we see glimpse, glimpses of hope and fight and that they're still going. But you really, you know, it's something I've made mention of on this podcast. You can only do the whole, you know, moral victories and hope and fight for so long. At some point, you got to put W's on the scoreboard. What, in your opinion, do they need to do to make that happen? Because as you mentioned, they're taking steps every week. And as much as you want to say, like, it's only a matter of time, it's like, is it, though? Because there's only a couple of weeks left in the season. Yeah, I mean, it might not necessarily be a matter of time for this year's UTEP team. I guess I'm thinking, you know, the long game here. At what point are they going to be able to put things together? For me, I, I, you know, I hate to sound like I'm just saying the obvious, but they have to be, get consistent quarterback play. Now we know that Kyle Loxley is a senior. Brandon Jones, I believe, is a senior. I'm 99% sure he is. So we're probably looking at the TJ Godwin era. That's going to be the key. Is he ready to be the guy? They're going to have some running backs. You know, they're going to have Deion Hankins. They're going to get Quadras Wadley back. They're going to lose some guys on defense. But, yeah, just to answer your question in specificity, it's really just consistent quarterback play. Because even if you look at the last year, um, it's the same thing with UTSA. You really aren't giving your team a chance if you're putting your defense on the field, you know, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15 times to go out and stop the team. How many times, even if they stop them, let's say your defense is out there 12 plus times. Even if you stop them 60 to 70% of the time, you're still looking at giving up three scores, whether that's touchdowns or field goals. And then when your offense is inept, (laughs) that's not enough to get the victory. No, not at all. So with uh, that, UTEP, just a couple more things that uh, need to get tweaked clearly if they want to get that second one of the year. Uh, But with that, we'll talk about Southern Miss and UAB. The Golden Eagles winning their matchup last week, 37-2. to Just a beatdown in every sense of the word. 325 total yards for Southern Miss and uh, add that to a pick six for DQ Thomas, who I'm assuming his initials mean Dairy Queen. Don't ruin it for me. Uh, But really Southern Miss looking more and more like a complete team and a uh, legitimate threat to Louisiana Tech's run at the West. (laughs) I don't know where to start with this one, Joe, because UAB's offense and, you know, I can't come down on Dylan Hopkins too hard because you know he's a freshman but mm-hmm. but 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 I don't know what to say because Southern Miss's defense is really I, I don't want to say they've underperformed but they haven't performed necessarily to the level of their talent so the fact that UAB couldn't muster anything is rather troubling the second part of this and this is something that I, I want to toss at you Joe before we go into you know kind of like that game recap do you know happen to know off, off the top of your head I mean not specifically how many yards but if you were to take a guess at how many yards Spencer Brown has this year, what would you say? <laughs> uh, I, it's not super low. I think I'm going to say he's broken 500. That's that's my guess. And see, I put you on the spot here, and it's a really crappy thing to do to my uh, my co-host without you know the old journalism rule: don't ask questions you know you know the answer to. I'm sorry, uh, no Joe. Spencer Brown has 81 attempts for 264 yards. Is that right? Oh man. Yes. 
That's that's really disappointing. So yeah, I mean, I, I just I can't go any further into recapping UAB's offense without mentioning that because think about it. You're talking about a guy who has a freshman was a 1300 yard rusher, as a sophomore was a 1200 yard rusher this year. And once again, it's not that he's underperformed. It's that he's been banged up. But I'm just saying that it's to show that if they don't have Spencer Brown, who we you know clearly think is when healthy and when right, the second best running back in this conference, uh, arguably the first. You can't blame Dylan Hopkins and the rest of the team for having nothing to show. Uh, so it's really troubling. And you can't even blame the UAB defense because, you know, they had four sacks. Uh, they actually, yeah, they had four sacks and, and put some pressure. They had plenty of tackles for loss, had nine tackles for loss. But when your offense, once again, you put the, 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 the defense out there to stop a really talented Southern Miss offense, what do you expect? Yeah, exactly. I mean, as as hot as this Southern Miss team is now, you got to put up a little bit better of a fight, though, if you're UAB. I mean, two points with the amount of uh, the amount of talent that we've seen on that team, and I mean, they're the defending champions for a reason. For you know, it's got to be better than that. Uh, with that, then we'll talk about Louisiana Tech beating North Texas fifty-two to seventeen. Uh, Tech defense forcing four turnovers. Rushing offense, getting five touchdowns for Tech, which is a testament to just how deep this team is offensively. Uh, meanwhile, on the North Texas side, Mason Fine uh, missing some time with a concussion, which is obviously concerning. Head trauma, no, uh, no laughing matter there. Um, but I mean, uh, on the other side of that, if you're a Seth Luttrell, you got to prepare for the future at some point. Um, but uh, doesn't doesn't look like those guys are ready for the spotlight, unfortunately. Yeah, you know, for North Texas fans, you really kind of got a glimpse into the future and not great timing. You know, obviously you go, you fall to four and six. You're fighting for what little bowl, you know, eligibility, your bowl lives you may have. And then you lose, you know, your all-world quarterback. It, the funny thing about this is that Mason Fine, I'm not saying funny about his concussion, just the, the interesting thing about this, or maybe the sad thing, is that Mason Fine going, going into that game was only, if my memory serves me correct, the number was 837 yards away from being fourth all-time in CUSA history with three games to do it. And if anyone has followed Mason Fine's career in CUSA, that number in three games is easily attainable. Now he goes 8 of 15 for 48 yards, leads with a concussion, and his status for the final two weeks are in doubt. So it looks like he, if he doesn't play the final two games, and this is the end of his career, provided North Texas doesn't make a bowl game, he'll finish in eighth place in CUSA history. Now to flip it to the Future for North Texas didn't exactly look great. You know, Austin Oon and uh, Jason Bean. Oon uh, had the, the you know, kind of meaningless touchdown at the end. You know, he, so his numbers look a little bit better, three or four for 123 yards and one touchdown. But Jason Bean, you know, 12 of 16, 94 yards, two picks. Not great. Kind of a troubling glimpse as to what may be some growing pains without Mason Fine. But, hey, you know, talk about North Texas enough. Let's definitely give credit to Skip Holtz's team because they are – Leading the West, eight and one. Jamar Smith, twenty-one of thirty-eight for two sixty-three, one touchdown. You know, has the pick and maybe you know, kind of a little bit of that inconsistent Jamar, but the rest of the team picked it up. You talked about the rushing yards, and that was kind of the game that you saw against uh, FIU earlier this year, where the rushing attack just combined for you know was endless with Justin Henderson, Israel Tucker. You know, those guys really stepped up and played well, and Adrian Hardy goes over hundred yards. So, give credit. You know, they have those guys. They have stars at the right position. Uh, they have a guy at quarterback who's capable of winning the game. They have enough running talent at running back. They have a, like also a receiver. They have Willie Baker. They have, uh, you know, Eljarius Need, Amik Robertson. So they have enough talent to get the rest of the way. It's just going to be a matter of 
can they finish? You know, you know, we got Marshall coming up this week, and we'll see what happens with Southern Miss. But give credit to the Tech, to, to the Tech. You know, they uh, picked up the win and in a resounding way. Absolutely, and like you mentioned, so many talented bodies on that team. Uh, it's it's just a, a testament to how many good people are on this team. The fact that you know they're winning by these kind of margins against uh, teams who are no no slouches, certainly. Um, with that, we'll head back to the East for the Shula Bowl. Probably the most anticipated game of uh, last weekend, just given the rivalry nature of it. And, uh, you know, I feel like at times FAU and FIU have looked uh, pretty neck and neck. However, you know, FAU definitely having better results so far. And they get another one this year with uh, 37 uh, to seven, the result of this year's Shula Bowl in their favor. Uh, big day for Malcolm Davidson, the freshman with 144 yards and three touchdowns at running back. Um, just, you know, really this was just not much of a contest um, for FAU. Another great example of offensive depth winning the day because it seems like every week this week when we've talked about FAU uh, doing something good, at, they've always had a different uh, star, so to speak. Chris Robinson, obviously the leader of that team, but seems like he uh, finds new ways to connect with his receiving core, or you get a performance out of a running back like we did with Davidson this week. Malcolm Davidson is definitely the story of this one. You know, he was my vote for Shula Bowl MVP as far as the FAU side. We get to both uh, a player for each team for MVP for, for FAU and FIU in that game, and he far and away was the MVP. You know, you have to look at this FAU rushing game, and you don't realize just how many talented guys they have, whether it's Malcolm Davidson, uh, James Charles, Chauncey Mason, Trey Mason's younger brother. Larry McCammon is hurt, but he's another guy as well who, even though the numbers don't necessarily look great, he's a talented guy. Then you pair the fact that Chris Robinson is really you know playing to his potential and looked like one of the best signal callers in Conference USA. I, I've said it. you know, I've said it on, on other you know podcasts and other radio spots, and I'll say it here. <laughs> this may be a little controversial to uh, Bulldog fans, but if you give me FAU or you give me, um, excuse me, if you give me FAU or if you give me Louisiana Tech, wow, I don't know why I just kind of struggled with that one there. I think FAU wins. I think they're the better team. Uh, the reason I say that is because you look at who Tech has played, you look at six of their wins, they're on competition that isn't exactly the best of, you know, hindsight being 2020 wasn't necessarily the best. But if you look at FAU, they opened the season and their losses were against, you know, teams like UCF and Ohio State. So even though they're seven and three, you can easily say that, you know, besides the hiccup to Marshall and those two opening week losses, they're a really good team. So once again, give Lane Kiffin credit. So now on the FIU side of things, it's another game that was a one score game at the half and third quarters have not been kind to this football team. They get outscored 15 points. They were outgained by over 120 yards and the offense wasn't able to do anything that's a product of the offensive line really struggling. FIU lost another offensive lineman, Shaquille Williams, left in the third quarter. You know, uh, his status for two weeks from now is unknown, and that's really an issue because they really are running out of offensive linemen, and James Morgan is already struggling with a knee injury. Uh, Napoleon Maxwell, outside of the 75-yard 75 75-yard 75-yard long touchdown run, which was the longest run in uh, FIU program history in nine years since T.Y. Hilton's 80-yard touchdown run uh, against Troy in 2010, they only had like 37 yards rushing. So I just go to show you that the offensive ineptitude for FIU has been, you know, really an issue. And Lane Kiffin, he, may, he was not shy about it postgame. He was really happy with his team. And he thought that, you know, besides the one touchdown run and, the, and that being the seven points, 
they really dominated. Yeah, absolutely. It's uh, it's interesting that you know the expectations for these two programs this year have definitely uh, flipped now that we're at this point in the season. You know, FIU were uh, some would say East Division favorites heading into this year, and uh, FAU people were kind of on the fence about them given how they performed last year. But uh, at now, obviously, FAU with a higher win total at uh, at the mark of the season after the Shula Bowl has been played. Um, so, Eric, you poised an interesting question off the air, which was, uh, is it fair to say that uh, FAU has surpassed FIU as a program at this point? Which I would love to get your kind of thoughts since this was your, uh, you know, idea, obviously, because I I feel like after I hear your thoughts, I'll I'll have a better idea of what mine are on the subject. No, sure. So, you know, I, I can't take credit for the question. I actually have to give credit to uh, my other podcast co-host, Shane Marinelli, who I host a Shula Bowl podcast. He's best, oh, wow, let's try this again. A Shula Bowl podcast. I'm struggling here. It's late, uh, at least on the East Coast. You've had um, one too many Tito's and vodkas. It's fine. One too many Tito's and vodkas, right? You know, that's an inside <laughs> joke. I'm, I know all of you listen to us every single week, so you know where that one came from. Uh, it's a podcast that specializes in FAU and FIU. We talk about the rivalry. But his question was essentially what you said. Yes. If you look at the records, the overall records of Butch Davis and Lane Kiffin, they're very similar. I don't have them off the top of my head right now. However, uh, in year one, Lane Kiffin wins the the conference, right? Year two, they have the step back and FIU has a chance to make the conference title game, but they fall at the end against Marshall. Year three, FIU is having a struggle year. FAU looks like they're gearing up for another conference title run. And more importantly, in that area in South Florida, in the Shula Bowl, Lane Kiffin is 3-0. and And Lane, post-game, was not shy about making that point known. He said in his post-game interview on the field um, uh, to the stadium sideline reporter that, hey, this gives our fans and our players another 365 days to uh, feel confident about beating FIU. And that guess what? That's a 1,000 straight days that we've had a chance to feel confident. The actual number is over 1,100 straight days, but, you know, who's counting? And then in his post-game with the media pool there, um, Jake Elman from the Palm Beach Post sent me this quote that Lane said, hey, you know, I like to think that this makes a difference in recruiting because I hope recruits are taking notice that, you know, it's not like we're beating a rivalry, uh, a rival that is out of state or, you know, somewhere that's far away. They're in our own backyard. They're only 40 miles away. So the fact that we beat them in three straight years is something that's really interesting. In my opinion, do I think that FAU has surpassed FIU? I really think you have to hold out judgment until you see the way this season plays out because should Marshall win the conference yes you have the bragging rights of the Shula Bowl but I mean it depends on how much credence you're going to give Lane on the conference title in year one Uh, for FIU I really struggle with this because I don't think people really look at how inept the FIU program has been pre-Butch Davis. I mean, you have the Mario Cristobal era, and that was a little bit of success, but as I've said before, this program, the winning percentage overall is under 40%, you know, and and, and that's with the two bowl games of previous two years, right? So I think FAU may be starting from a little bit of a better place. Not that their program history is that much better, but they got off to a little better start with Howard Snellenberger. So I want to say it's a wash, but I really think it depends on how this season plays out. Yeah, it's tough to say that 
they've surpassed the Panthers as a program. But here's what I will say. FAU's won the head-to-head three years in a row now. FAU has a conference title from two seasons ago. Uh, FAU has more overall wins from the last couple of years, at least to my knowledge. And, you know, G5 football swings so much. So it's tough to say that, you know, you could say, yeah, one program surpassed another. But again, it changes so quickly and so rapidly that we could be saying the exact opposite 365 days from now. So it's it's a tough question, but I will say that FAU definitely F yeah, FAU, the Owls, definitely have the hotter hand right now and have been getting a lot more favorable results. So it's hard to argue that they're not the I won't say they're the better program, but I will say they're the hotter program right now. And they're definitely the more they're finding success much more easily than the Panthers are right now. That's what I'll say. Um, so that's kind of my, my thoughts on the subject. Um, in the West, we've talked about how Louisiana tech is the front runner right now. Um, so I guess Eric, we've talked about how also Southern miss is giving a really good run at them with, just how well they're performing right now and how they don't have very many games left in the season. So I guess my question is, do you think Louisiana tech is going to go the distance and uh, a close out the West and B close out the division or close out you know the what? league rather. I, <laughs> Shit. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I uh, once again, you can tell that we're taking this podcast at a little different hour than we normally are a little later on my end than Joe's, but I digress. Um, yeah, I, I do think that they'll be able to close it out. I mean, here's the deal. They've got Marshall. They've got UAB. They have UTSA. We're going to assume they're going to beat UTSA, right? If UAB doesn't find a, a semblance of offense better than what we saw last week, that's going to be a win. Against Marshall, that could easily be a loss. But I think that you have to respect this Tech team enough to say that they've turned the corner in the sense that this isn't going to be like previous years where maybe you know maybe they kind of falter down the end don't get the job done. Then if you look at Western Kentucky's schedule, Western Kentucky, if you look at Southern Miss's schedule, they play Western Kentucky. They have Western Kentucky at home. They have to go to Florida Atlantic, and that's a game that I don't think by any stretch of the imagination is going to be, you know, just a pushover, especially because I expect to be I expect to see FAU competing for the East in that game. And then they have UTSA this Saturday. So yes, we believe that the UTSA game will be a win, but they have two games that quite frankly could just as easily be losses. Uh, given the fact that Western Kentucky still has, you know, a lot of pride to play for. They're not going to win the East, but they still allowed to prove that, hey, you know, we've turned the corner as a program. So I, I do think that Tech pulls it out. And, and let's give credit to Skip Holtz, you know, because I've held back on them. You know, I've kind of thought that, all right, we'll wait and see what happens and play by air. But if, if they get the job done, I think they will. It's a great job by him and uh, his entire program. Yeah. And, I mean, I'll say that I really do think that Skip Holtz and his team are going to close out uh, close this thing out. I mean, they're, they're the most deep right now. And just, it's hard to argue with the fact that, uh, they're eight and one. I mean, at this point, they have so much momentum in their favor and their, their resume really speaks to their ability. There's no, I don't think there's any fluke wins on there. I think they've definitely more than earned every victory they've come across this year. So I, you know, as much as I really thought it was going to be two different teams in the title game this year, I'm really thinking that at this point it's going to be uh, Louisiana Tech and, and FAU with Louisiana Tech closing it out. But 
a lot can happen in the last few weeks. Uh, with that, then let's close this thing out and talk about some Week 12 matchups. We got Marshall and Louisiana Tech in this first one. Uh, you can catch that one on CBS Sports Network at 7 p.m. on Friday night. Always love a little Friday night lights in G5 football. And Marshall favored to win that one by two and a half at this point. But, you know, like I just mentioned, I'm going to go with Louisiana Tech. It's it's so tough to bet against what they're doing right now. Jamar Smith is playing some of the best football I've ever seen him play personally. Uh, that whole running back core, all seven of them or however many they have on their roster are playing they're, you know, playing out of their minds. Uh, Marshall, definitely not going to go quietly, though. Brendan Knox, I think, is probably the most complete running back in the league at this point. Uh, we're seeing Isaiah Green get a little bit better every every week. Uh, but Louisiana Tech, just the more complete team, in my opinion. Yeah, so I just spent all that time seeing that text turn the corner, and we'll see what they do, right? And then I'm going to pick Marshall. I'm picking Marshall you know, with a little bit of trepidation because it does depend on Mr. Isaiah Green. Are we going to get good Isaiah or bad Isaiah uh, or inconsistent Isaiah? You know, I guess there's three Isaiahs out there. Um, if we can get a good performance from Isaiah Green, we don't need him to try and carry the game. You know, there's too much talent on that tech defense. Just avoid Amik Robertson because we know if you, if you throw it to him, he will pick it off and take it to the house. Not only will he get the turnover, he will put points on the board for his team. So don't do that. But – if he can just play consistent and do enough to help his team win and Brendan Knox plays as we know he can, I think that Marshall has a lot to fight for. Not that Tech doesn't, but, you know, especially given the fact that FAU had a really resounding win over FIU uh, and with Marshall having the week off, I think they'll be able to prove that, hey, don't forget about us. We are still in control of our own destiny should we win out. So I'm going with the herd. All right. Should be a really interesting contest up there in West Virginia. Marshall always plays tough at home. Uh, moving on to the Saturday games, then we got three of them kicking off with UAB hosting UTEP on ESPN three at one Eastern Blazers favored by 17 and a half. Now we've talked about how inconsistent UAB has been this year. Uh, obviously more than a couple issues they need to work through, especially on the offensive side of things. Uh, but I don't think this is going to be the game that UTEP breaks through. Um, so we'll see how that works out. But UAB, I feel like, is a pretty safe pick. Yeah, 1 p.m. game from Legion Field, right? You know, that should make for tough sledding, especially for a UTEP team that, as we said, you know, they really – it was a gut punch for them not to be able to close that one out, and I don't think it's going to get any easier heading to UAB. We all know that Bill Clark's team is a good team. We know that Bill Clark's a good coach. And he's not going to let his team falter, you know, two weeks in a row, especially against a team that, quite frankly, doesn't have nearly the talent level that UAB does. Uh, talk about Spencer Brown. We don't know his health situation. Clearly, he's not healthy because he's rushed for 200 and something yards, and that's he's 10 times the player that those numbers show. But if they can at least get him going, that would be nice to see. And we'll have to see what the quarterback situation is. Uh, I've read Evan Dudley's story. I do not believe that Tyler Johnson will be back. So it is going to be Dylan Hopkins. So we'll have to see what he can do. But all things considered, I do think he will be pulled out of victory. And then we have Middle Tennessee hosting Rice at 430 Eastern on ESPN+. Plus. Blue Raiders favored by 14 at, uh, at this point. Uh, I feel like Blue Raiders should have this one in the bag. Rice, of course, the only winless team in conference USA right now at 0 and 9 um, haven't seen too much from them to really make me think that they're going to beat the Asher O'Hara show and in, uh, in Murfreesboro. So got to go with uh, MTSU. 
I have seen the Asher O'Hara show in Murfreesboro, and uh, it involves a lot of 10 and 15 yard chunks. And if you don't play, you know, your your gaps properly and you don't contain and you take bad angles, you can break one for 15 yards. And that could be something that happens, even though Rice does have a really solid defense. You know, Blaze Aldridge, that dude has like 16 and a half tackles for loss. I mean, he's just a stud there at linebacker. Um, uh, George Nyakwal, excuse me, I almost had a, you know, just a, a misrecollection of a name there. George Nyakwal at safety is a good player, so we know that he'll step up. But for Middle Tennessee, all things considered, I do think that Asher O'Hara will be able to get going. For Rice, it looks like it's going to be Giovanni Johnson, the true the freshman, excuse me, at quarterback for Rice. We don't know Tom Stewart's availability. That could play a factor. But once again, Rice, a team that not only have they played hard, they've played well throughout the year. But it, once again, moral victories. It doesn't do much for you. You've got to be able to go out and get one. I just don't think they're going to be able to do it in Murfreesboro. Real quick, Asher O'Hara at 757 rushing yards for the year. With three games left, do you think he gets to 1,000? Absolutely. I, I did see that. You know, I, I was look, taking a look at the CUSA rushing leaders, and I was just kind of surprised to see he's up there in the top 10, and I do think he'll cross the 1,000-yard mark. Not often you see a quarterback get to that mark, but uh, it should be an interesting feat if he can make it. Uh, I, I feel like he'll make it too, especially given the fact that he plays Rice this week, Old Dominion next, and uh, – it it could be it could be uh, close against Western Western Kentucky in the last week, but something to keep an eye on. And then to close out the slate, we got UTSA hosting Southern Mississippi at six p.m. Eastern on ESPN Plus. You got the Golden Eagles favored by sixteen and a half in that game at the Alamo Dome. Uh, Southern Miss feel like a pretty safe pick here. UTSA that uh, that offense definitely been fun to watch the last couple of weeks but the defense is another story and then pair that with the fact that you're facing uh, jack abraham and kez Watkins, arguably the most lethal uh wide receiver quarterback combo in the league yeah without question you know we put this out there i obviously think southern miss is going to win that aside what i'm looking for from utsa ken lowell narcisse and sincere mccormick put together you know another offensive showing especially at home because i think that's been the thing that has really kind of uh, i don't want to say alienated or driven away but if you look at the utsa fan base one of the things that's kind of caused those attendance numbers to go down is the fact that not only are they losing they're not putting up any offense and now the fact they've been able to do that the past few weeks with a hometown kid there i think that'll bring some fans you know through the turnstiles um i don't know why i said turnstiles like it's 1970 it, it'll put some fans in the seats i don't know how many stadiums have turnstiles nowadays but anyhow, um, that'll be something to look for for UTSA. But for Southern Miss, like you said, that combination of Abraham and Watkins, and you add Jalen Adams in there as well, that's, for my money, it might be one of the top quarterback-receiver tandems uh, or duos in all of G5 football. So Southern Miss will roll. On the note of turnstiles, what's something you constantly see in college football stadiums that you can't believe is still a thing? Hmm. It's a fair question. As someone who's been to quite a few stadiums this year, um, you know, <laughs> I'm not racking my brain because I feel like, and this is uh, this is no slight to Floyd Stadium, but of all the stadiums, it's, it's just because of age. Of all the stadiums I've been to, the oldest one, looking in appearance and just in age, was Floyd Stadium. Uh. Okay, Joe, this is going to sound weird, and hopefully I don't get ridiculed for this. The level, of con- uh, the, le- <laughs> the level of concrete that was used to build that stadium 
like there's just so many concrete fixtures and 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 like stanchions and things that it is just it reminds me uh maybe i'm going to show my age a little bit you know being 28 i the first ever football game i went to was at the old tampa stadium not raymond james stadium where the bucks play but the old tampa stadium and if you remember anything about that it was just a giant slab of concrete everywhere that's what it reminded me of it was just I'm not bashing on Floyd Stadium. It just it looks old, okay? So that that was surprising because when you see some of the newer stadiums like FAU Stadium, which is less than a decade old, FIU Stadium has been remodeled, um, Tulane Stadium, which is less than a decade old, they just look more modern. So that was one of the things that that definitely caught me by, uh, by surprise. Here's mine. And you'll, as a guy, you know what I'm talking about. Troughs. Oh, I should have said it. You beat me to it. Go for it, Joe. <laughs> <laughs> is that like is that really the best we got like i don't know i it's just like every time i go to the bathroom at a at a stadium just like dreading that because it's just like oh, there's so much so many smells and i don't like it <laughs> like i'm not even that much of a neat freak but just like there's got i don't know there's got to be a better and more hygienic way to handle that situation like i get there's a lot of a lot of bodies in a stadium but like i don't know i feel like you can most pro teams and college athletic departments have enough you know coming in that they can at least line that space with like individual urinals or stalls because that's it's a little it's it's too much spray back and that's all i'm gonna say i don't i'm not a fan of the trots Joe, I went on for 90 seconds about concrete, and you just hit the head. You hit the nail on the head right there. You know, because I'm in press boxes, I, I, we don't get the troughs. But I went to grad school in Chicago, and I lived right behind Wrigley Field. And I, as a huge baseball fan, I went to my fair share of games at Wrigley. The amount of, like you said, you know, residual uh, residue that comes off from troughs, it is, yeah, 1,000% agree. Like, we should just cut my answer and leave yours. <laughs> no we'll we'll leave that in because that's that's valid i mean i definitely there's definitely many many upgrades that could do to some of these older venues um but with that we'll start wrapping it up i feel like we had a good rousing discussion on cosa football and some of the auxiliary things that go along with it uh thank you all so much for listening once again uh if you like the show go ahead and subscribe on itunes leave a review that really helps as well um and then check us out on spotify too and as far as social media goes at underdog dynasty on twitter like i'm on facebook and then we are at j-o-e-h-i-o underscore and at eric c henry underscore uh and check out underdogdynasty.com every day for more g5 football stuff uh if you're listening to this on the site tell us in the comments what's the weirdest thing you can't believe is uh still in most major sporting stadiums uh come back next week and we'll talk about what happened in week 12 and look forward to week 13 happy football watching everybody We'll be right back.